All right, welcome to the Course Reports, your real deal inside look into professional golf venues around the world. We're going to give it to you straight with smooth and true facts. I'm Curtis Tyrell, certified golf course superintendent, master greenkeeper. This week, it's a midsummer conditions report from both sides of the pond. We're going to talk to Lee Strutt from Royal Automobile Club outside of London, England, and Matthew Warden of Carolina Golf Club outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's time to get on the green. It's time for the course reports. Well, on this edition of the course reports, we're going to bring it to you from both sides of the pond. The whole point is we are going to talk to a couple of the smartest guys in the business, leading some very prestigious clubs and been doing it for a long time. I want to welcome our first guest all the way from London, England, Master Greenkeeper, Certified Golf Course Superintendent and Master Superintendent Lee Strutt, Course Manager at Royal Automobile Club. Lee, welcome to the course reports. How are things in London this evening? Uh, uh, very much uh, a very warm welcome from London, Curtis. Uh, it's certainly good to hear from you guys and uh, to be uh, very honored to be a part of this uh, podcast. Um, in the UK, we're good. Uh, summer's finally kicked in. Uh, we're not quite having uh, the heat that we would normally have. Um, but on the whole, the weather's playing, playing fair at the moment. Fantastic. Well, that's great to hear. And let's welcome our good friend from Carolina Golf Club, golf course superintendent, certified golf course superintendent, master greenkeeper, Matthew Wharton. Matthew, welcome to the course reports. Thank you, Curtis. Uh, like Lee said, it's an absolute honor and a privilege to, to be here and, and to be able to do this with you guys. So uh, thank you for having me. Well, it's an honor for me, guys, to have both of you here. You know, uh, you know, I've met both of you uh, over a number of years. Lee, you mentored me through the Master Greenkeeper program with, with the British and International Golf Greenkeeper Association, and we've been friends ever since, uh, visiting uh, when you're over here and when I'm over there, and, and that's been a lot of fun. And Matthew, we also met through that program as we were doing a, um, a course inspection for one of our colleagues. So, uh, you know, to get the three of us here together is certainly um, exciting for me, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Um, Matthew, let's uh, let's start with you. You know, you've had a a long career. You've been you've been working hard at uh, at the profession for a while, and your pathway, you know, is a little bit different. You took education a little bit further um, at Virginia Tech. So, tell our listeners how you came about to the Carolina Golf Club and your background, just in general. Okay, well, first and foremost, I grew up in a very small rural uh, part of Virginia, a little town called Castlewood, and there was one nine-hole golf course in the entire county, Lake Bonaventure Country Club. Uh, like a lot of us, I think, in the business, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do coming fresh out of high school, and I was going to community college, and I happened to get an opportunity to take a job at Lake Bonaventure Country Club when I was 19, uh, running a string trimmer, creek banks right. and around trees. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, uh, believe it or not though, I was in the midst of uh, pursuing an engineering degree and I transferred to Virginia tech to complete my industrial and systems engineering degree. My grandparents really had wanted, um, 
that's kind of what they had stressed was, you know, if you want a good life and you want to earn a good living, you, you should get a degree in engineering. This was the late eighties, early nineties. And so I didn't want to disappoint them. So I pursued that, but it just didn't come easy and didn't come natural to me. And upon graduation, I was shortly after I, I ended back up at Lake Bonaventure country club working <laughs> for another three years. Um, you know, there, there I, I met a, I met a woman that would eventually become my wife and uh, we kind of had a long heart to heart talk about the future. And she recognized in me this, this passion for being outdoors and uh, and green keeping. And I ended up going back to Virginia tech and ultimately pursuing a master's degree in uh, the agronomy department had been renamed to crop and soil environmental sciences. So uh, three years of that, uh, on assistantship with the athletic department, so I got to got to do a lot of cool things with the athletic department while at Virginia Tech, and then I went to work at Augustine Golf Club for uh, certified golf course superintendent Rick Owens, and from there I went to Swan Point Yacht and Country Club, which is in Issue, Maryland. Oh yeah, so I know it. About fifty miles south of DC, right on the Potomac River, and. Uh, Three years later, I got the opportunity to come to Carolina Golf Club in 2005, just as they were embarking on a four-year, four-phase master plan uh, renovation. So, uh, yeah, the rest is history, as they say, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's cool. I'm curious, uh, when you were working at Lake Bonavent, string trimming lake banks and all that stuff, what were you making an hour back then? Minimum wage, which was three dollars and thirty-five cents an hour, isn't that amazing? <laughs> and uh, the the funny thing was when I got asked if I wanted the job, uh, the two things I asked were, well, what does it pay? Uh, and I was told minimum wage, and then I was told, I believe you can play all the free golf you want. <laughs> and I said, who do I call? Yeah, right. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I, after college, I also went back to the course that I had worked at uh, prior to, and so I had a bachelor's degree at the time, and and I signed on for five fifty in free golf. So, you know, <laughs> we get into this because we we love it, and it's really not about the money, but the hourly wage is, is certainly something that has an impact on the game today, and maybe we'll get into that later. But uh, Lee. Tell our listeners how you ended up uh, in this business and, and, and your pathway to Royal Automobile Club. Um, I, I guess like um, um, most of us, it, it's probably not a natural route that, uh, that I took. Um, I kind of uh, grew up in the countryside in the, in, in the West Country of the UK. And um, I was kind of, my heart was set to go into agriculture. I kind of really liked working outside, like working with machinery. Um, and then when I was about 14, uh, my parents moved and they were, uh, they used to do bar trade um, and they took over the F&B side of uh, a golf club. And uh, we lived on site and at, used to help out at the weekends and um, used to help out during the summertime on the golf course. And I kind of, I thought, actually, I kind of like this. This is, uh, this is pretty cool. Not quite like agriculture, but just maybe more a bit of finite and, and detail to it. And um, I kind of left school um, doing it. So I, I ended up probably doing a job that I, I really wanted. Um, I was probably one of those kids that hated school, hated it with a passion. 
um, and I kind of hated education that went with it. Um, and then I, I continued my career into uh, greenkeeping and I worked at a couple of different sites. And uh, one of the places I went to, um, uh, I got sent to college. And um, it wasn't really a college course for uh, soil science and greenkeeping. It was more to do with horticulture and um, plants. And I was kind of in a class uh, with a student that um, used to work in um, garden nurseries and that sort of thing. Um, and that was my second taste of education, which I also hated with a passion. So I kind of thought that, well, my career was going to pan out just being a greenkeeper, but not necessarily being... Um, that bright. And then I was very fortunate. I went to work for a, a beautiful Heathland golf course in Dorset. Um, and the course manager there was Adrian Archer. And, and, and he, he gave me an opportunity and he, and he said, um, I'll, I'll, give you, uh, I'll give you an opportunity, but you're going to have to go back to college. And I kind of dug my heels in. We're not going to go back to college. Um, and basically he said, you either have the job and you go to college or you don't come and work for me. So went to, uh, I went to work for him went to college, and for the first time, I actually sat in a classroom with a load of guys that were talking the same language, had the same passion for greenkeeping, and I was kind of now sucked into the education system of, of greenkeeping, and I spent 30 years keep asking the question of why do we do that, how do we do that, sure. and I've kind of nurtured my career around trying to keep asking the questions, and I've moved from uh, different venues, uh, got promotion, um, and then when I took over my first golf course at Royal um, at Richmond Golf Club in Surrey, um, I kind of wanted to test myself further. I, I got the qualifications, and um, and that's when I, I kind of wanted to do the master greenkeeper system, um, and that was in 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 essence was there was no level of um, I want to be better than anyone else. Uh, I think anyone that's done any form of certification is you want to test yourself. You want to see whether you are as good good enough to beat the system. Um, I, I I took the system and I kind of been uh, a lifelong fan of uh, Master Greenkeeper, and part of that system has brought me so many connections and, and so many friends throughout my career. Um, that's that's been absolutely epic. After a time at um, Richmond, um, been there about 14 years, and I kind of really wanted uh, to do some construction and grow in, had an opportunity to go to Scotland uh, and work for Dave McClay Kidd. Uh, fantastic opportunity to actually work with a, a great uh, golf course architect, getting in the inside, understanding how shape, form, interest that was going to go into each golf hole um, and, and that was just a fantastic opportunity, uh, constructing and growing and, and managing G West. And then um, an opportunity come up, come back up in London, um, and I came back down south to work at the Royal Automobile Club. We have 36 holes, um, and we're undertaking um, uh, quite a major restoration in UK terms. It's probably not quite on the scale in the US where they rip the, course, the golf course up. This has been more a case of actually resetting the bunkering, um, improving the agronomy, rebuilding the team, uh, having a forward strategy, and improving the playing, uh, playing services for the membership. So that's kind of brought me to where I am today. Wow, man, that's fantastic. I think it's hysterical 
that you hated school with a passion, but yet you're such a good teacher. Like, you know, how's that work out? Uh, I, I, do, you, do you know, Curtis, and uh, I've had these conversations with um, uh, Matthew quite a bit, and it, I kind of learned throughout my career. But I have to tell you this story because I, I, I just think this is really cool. So when I was at school, I'm, I'm kind of pretty good with numbers and mathematics and all of that. I can, I can do that off by heart. I could never understand fractions, and I have to thank greenkeeping for this. No matter how many teachers tried to teach me how to, um, to do fractions, it, the penny would not drop. Went to work on my first golf course, and we're moving from summer heights of cut, 3 sixteenths, um, to go up to a quarter an inch uh, for, winter, for winter play, and that was, that's what we did in the mid-'80s. And uh, the, uh, the head greenkeeper at the time just said, well, I changed the heights cut. I said, hey, I, I, I don't understand how to get from 3 sixteenths to a quarter of an inch. He, all he done was pulled out a tape measure, showed me, he said, look, here's 3 sixteenths on the ruler. Just need to go up to another sixteenth, which is now a quarter. That penny dropped. I realized I can now do fractions. But also what it made me realize, and my whole career has taught me, is, is that we're all slightly wired differently. And sometimes just because you don't learn one way doesn't mean that you can't learn. And I think I've really enjoyed being able to help people that maybe teach them in a slightly different way for then the penny to drop. Um, and I think that was kind of my story. I, I had to find my calling, as it were, my interest. And if you've got an interest, you know, you just want to learn. So... Yeah, that that is a great story and and very very true. I you know I think uh, you know um, especially with as many of uh, us Americans that you've helped, you've probably encountered some different wiring along the way. I know you did with me, and uh, you applied that <laughs> principle and and it helped. So that's that's great, Matthew. You know uh, when you were getting your master's, did you think about getting into um, education or working at a university? Uh, as it was, you know, at the end of your uh, studies or, um, and if not, kind of what drove you out onto the, the golf course instead? Well, actually, the gentleman at Lake Bonaventure Country Club, his name was Clay Evans, and he was a Class A PGA professional. And he was, you know, very common back in those days. He was the guy that wore three hats. He was the club manager and he was the golf professional and he was over the golf course even though he really didn't have an agronomic background. And there was one other guy there, uh, Tim Fields, who used to work there when I did. And um, it, there was a time when I actually thought about pursuing that side of the business. I actually did, in 1996, uh, take the PGA of America's playing abilities test on several of occasions. Wow. Um, and my... Uh, my wife and I, we've always had this mindset that things happen for a reason. And uh, the, the, uh, the PAT, as they call it, is a 36-hole, and there's a target score you have to shoot. And we're in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm on the 35th hole. I played the wrong ball for the third shot on a par five. Realized that once I got down to the green to mark the ball, had to call a two-shot penalty on myself, and I missed by one oh, shot. Oh, my gosh. And – we, we drove out of there that evening sort of distraught, kind of wondering, you know, what does this mean uh, for us? But the reality is, is I, I firmly believe, uh, you know, God had to intervene because 
I wasn't meant to be a golf professional. I think I was meant to be a, a golf course superintendent. And so when I decided to go back to school, I was unsure of whether or not, because Virginia Tech had both a four-year agronomy program and a two-year turf program. And I, I graduated uh, with a 3.0 with the engineering. And so I was like, well, should I go a four-year route, two-year route, whatever? Uh, talked to some people and they put me in touch with Dr. David Chalmers. And when I went to meet with him, he was the one that says, have you ever thought about graduate school? I was like, no. And, uh, but, you know, Doc needed a graduate student and my wife and I were uh, newly married and uh, it turned out to be the, the best thing for me. It took an extra year, but I think I got a much better, well-rounded uh, introduction to, to agronomy and exposure, et cetera. I did research on two golf courses in Virginia, Boonesboro Country Club outside Lynchburg and Hermitage Country Club outside Richmond. And, uh, but I, from the get go, I wanted to be a golf course superintendent. That's what I was there for. Uh, yeah. And, and I learned of the master greenkeeper at that time. Doc was really cool about having, um, uh, you know, professional reading material. And so he, he had issues of greenkeeper international and, Walter Montross, I think, was the first person I ever met that had the MG designation. And I just remember thinking, that's got a nice ring to it. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, so I kind of filed that away in the back of my mind for, you know, for down the road. For sure. Well, you guys are um, obviously very active and busy in in continuing education and um, pushing yourselves further and in, in the industry further, which I want to talk about a little later, but let's talk about what's got you busy right now, which is your golf courses and the conditions and how the weather's treating you and how the members are treating you and everything else. So uh, Lee, you touched on it a little bit at the beginning. Um, summer just starting to hit out there and how's your golf course looking and how's the uh, general region um, adapting as, as far as your colleagues and such uh, does 2019 look like it's going to be a good season? Um, it's quite interesting. Up to about the end of May, we were running at uh, probably one of our driest seasons, certainly for the last 20 years. Um, we've kind of hit June and kind of the wet weather's kind of caught up. Um, a lot of the grasses are very slow to respond this year. It's, it's kind of a really mixed bag. We can have... Um, sunny days but low temps at night overcast days with low temps um some of the guys further up in the country have had you know a month's worth of rain in a day so uh, you know this summer the start of this summer um is is not particularly easy um but playing surfaces wise uh, we've just had our club championships and that's kind of re- really well um but there's uh, for I guess for our membership, uh, there's a there's an ever growing um, feeling of people basically want more. Um, they want it more. They want it quicker. They want it faster. Not just in not just in the performances of the playing surfaces, but just golf course improvement. I think uh, people's level of uh, expectations and patience is certainly dwindling in certainly the golf world. Yeah, you know. Um... That's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? You know, uh, 
what kind of grasses are you growing over there, Lee, uh, on your greens, fairways, tees and such? What, what, what are you producing out there on the, on the golf course? Well, we're on our greens. Uh, we've got um, uh, Colonial Bent and uh, Poa. Um, on our fairways, we're typically we have fescue. We're very much a, um, it's quite a, a, we're a downland golf course, and it's not a, a type of golf course that gets heard very often. Um, we're very much, we've got a, a chalk sub-base, um, and we're part of the, the, the Surrey Downs. So we only have between six and eight inches of topsoil, which is pretty uh, a, a silty topsoil, um, and you'll have a lot of uh, fescue. So we can we can burn out quite easily in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the greens are typical push-up, um, uh, greens with um, just uh, just a power bent mix. Well, let me ask you about the the, the greens uh, first. So you said colonial bent and poa. So uh, over here in the United States, not too many people have any colonial bent. You might hear about it up in New England or upstate New York and some of the, the most older golf courses, but um, it is rhizominous um, as well as stoloniferous, which is what makes it different than the creeping bent. Is that accurate? Uh, well, it's actually more, um, you don't really get so much rhizone and stolon activity from it. Um, it I guess it, it, it dates back to the old school type um, bent grass that was really um, managed into a, a, a playing surface. Um, okay. I guess our climate's really hard in the respect that, you know, it doesn't get quite hot enough to grow creeping bents. Um, sustainably all year round you know we're not you know we can't have the warm cool seasons and it's uh, and we have too much rainfall mm-hmm. it's I think I remember Joe Vargas always turning around and saying the one great thing about the UK is it's great for growing poa so, <laughs> it, it, it's just one of those things I mean there are courses up and down the country that grow creeping bent but you know it's the weather's just not ideally perfect for it so um so generally across the UK, um, you'll have bent fescue or poa bent or a mix of all three. Okay. So on your greens, is the poa the dominant stand? Oh, very much so. Yeah. I mean, we're probably sit around about 80% poa. Okay. Um, and that's not, that's not uncommon. And I think, I think, I think in the industry now, we've kind of moved, moving away from Poa being a dirty word, and I think you know it's great to see a, a Beth Page, you know the the Poa Greens, uh, and and it's more of a reality now that, you know, we have to manage and sustain the plant that we got. And actually, do you know what the player doesn't really know that much what grass species they're playing on. It's it's the playing characteristic of the green more than maybe the the, the grass plant itself. True, true, very true. Um, you had mentioned the fairways, and you said that. Uh, the fescue will, uh, you know, you have a tendency to kind of burn out and, and dry down uh, through the summer. Um, when you get to the fall, uh, do you have to do any special cultivation or overseeding to recover from that? Or is that fescue just dormant and pops back with some nice rains and some cooler weather? Um, I would say up until uh, 2018, I would have said, yes, you know, it was a good grass, banked his bank every day of the week. Um, uh, 2018 was a brutally hot summer for for us in the UK, um, and a lot of the advocates of fescue, 
Um, you know, it's drought resistant, tolerant, it will bounce back. Um, I think we all had a shock last year because, uh, you know, we're still recovering from last year where we had a lot, quite a lot of areas that just, it got so hot and so dry, it just burnt the plant out. And um, so we're now back uh, doing some hollow tining, scarifying, dressing, seeding, um, trying to get that spore density back up. Okay. Interesting. Well, you had mentioned that uh, up until the end of May, it was one of the driest springs that you had. Uh, Matthew, can you say the same? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, uh, you know, golf has played outdoors and we all deal with the elements and the weather and our pattern flipped going back to September of last year. And we had the all-time wettest September through February uh, on record. Uh, we had nearly a year's worth of rainfall in that stretch. That's amazing. Which for Charlotte gets about a little over 40 inches on on average mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a calendar year. Yeah. And here it is, June 26, and I'm sitting on almost 34 year-to-date. Wow. Uh, I've already had over six inches rain in June and it didn't rain a drop the first seven days of the month. Uh, And here's the ironic thing is we actually went through a stretch this year from it was the last three weeks of May and the first week of June, that 26, 27, 28 days there without a drop. That was a, that was really the only dry period, but uh, it's been feast or famine. If you will. Yeah. Um, we had a we had a, we came out of a cold colder than average winter, uh, and so you know our turf was a. I described it to the greens committee this year. I used the term banged up, and and the analogy was when we were kids and we used to wreck on our bicycles and we'd go to school with, with scabs on our elbows and knees. You know, I said, you know, you know, you're just banged up, and uh, you know, in two to three weeks' time those areas all kind of heal up and recover and you're back Mm -hmm. to normal. And it was just slow to recover. I think for us, we got to about May one and I believe probably the weather was nice enough that folks were of that mindset, like, okay, things should be in prime condition, but it was really just starting to get going. And uh, it, it took us almost the whole month of May to get it where, where people really want it to be and where, and where we want it to be, where I want it to be. So uh, uh, the golf course is really, really coming in, come into form in the last month. That, that's good. You know, like Lee said, sometimes um, patience is, is uh, hard to find in, in this business. And yeah, you know, it's funny. You have the first sunny day above 50. Everybody's like, Hey, you know, let's go. What's, what's the, what's the hold up here? How come everything isn't ready? Um, but you know, I think obviously, you know, you, you described it as banged up, but you obviously survived what was a pretty intense uh, period of rain from September through uh, now. So is it is there something particular about your infrastructure or your operational programs that's conditioned you or put Carolina Golf Club in a place to be able to handle that kind of, um, you know, severe weather, if you will, for such a prolonged time? Well, we're very fortunate. I mean, first and foremost, the golf course was designed by by Donald J. Ross. And I think one of the things 
that he was so uh, excellent at doing was moving water across the property and getting water off the surface. And so the, so the golf course has tremendous surface drainage. And then we have a series of three ponds on the property that 15 out of the 18 holes, it all drains to one of those three ponds. The ponds are connected. There is a small stream channel. Uh, Taggart Creek flows onto the property uh, from up somewhere upstream and eventually exits uh, through the spillway of my uh, irrigation reservoir. But by and large, everything gets gets funneled and, and channeled that way, either across the surface or, or through the network of uh, underground drainage that we have. And um, so, yeah, we can, we can shed a lot of water pretty quickly. Um, it, we're here in the Piedmont region of North Carolina. It's, it's primarily red clay with a little bit of topsoil. Um, so, you know, the golf course can get a little soft and sloppy and soggy in the winter months when the t- turf is dormant. But this time of year when the Bermuda grass fairways are growing actively, you know, even a big rain won't hardly relegate us to the cart paths. Right, right. Well, has I know you're pretty active in the local and regional community of superintendents, and and uh, from from what you gather, have the rest of uh, your colleagues been able to survive that kind of weather uh, as well as you guys have? And is everybody, um, you know, feeling okay about where they are uh, going into the heart of the summer here? I think so. I, I think we, we're now finally to the point where everyone's sort of like, okay, the golf course is ready for what comes next. And what's coming next is a big ridge of high pressure and, uh, you know, the, the heat wave, uh, the furnace, if, if you will, is about ready to crank up for, for next week in the 4th of July. Yeah. But uh, yeah, right, you know, right on time. Yeah. Perfect right. timing. Exactly. What else would yeah. you expect in the Carolinas? <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, the, the golf courses on the coast, they were much harder hit uh, last fall with Hurricane Florence. Um, I, but I think the recovery efforts have finally gotten to the point where everybody's sort of back where, where they want to be. You know, how you've got creeping bent grass on your greens, right, Matthew? I do. I have A1, A4 creeping bent grass. And, um, you know, what's that challenge like? I know that's, that's a hard part of the country to, to, to do that. You're, you're growing warm and cool season on the same site. Um, you know, in terms of getting through what you got through and preparing for this July 4th, uh, start to the, the long dog days, you know, where's most of your emphasis placed and how those greens perform in that, in that challenging period. Yeah. So we've got, um, you know, just for your listeners, so our, our tees, fairways, and primary rough are, are, are Bermuda grass, warm season turf, and we have the bent grass greens. And for us, you know, there's about a nine to nine and a half, ten month window, basically September to June, where, you know, life's really, really good. Uh, putting on the bent grass is it's smooth and true, as you like to say, and you couldn't ask for a better surface yeah, to play right. on. Um, so depending on, you know, each year's different. Uh, you know, we've had hot and dry summers. We've had hot and wet summers. We've had cool summers. But, yeah, sort of that June, July, August window, uh, we've got fans, uh, 52-inch turf breeze fans on half of the greens here. And I've got 22 greens if you count the practice areas and the, and the nursery, turf nursery. So 11 of them have fans. 
so we put those up right after Memorial Day and um, we'll change out the front roller to a smooth roller and we'll modify the height of cut uh, I think we're still at three millimeter Lee you'd like you like that how about that for you? Oh, right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah in, uh, in, in, what's, that, what's that in real money? Uh, we're at one, 125. We're at 125, eighth of an inch. Um, but, um, and we'll monitor that as the weather progresses. And if we if we need to come up a little, little more over the next uh, few weeks, we will. Uh, we, we use a lightweight roller. Right now we're using a Toro rollers uh, and we'll, We'll supplement rolling in, in place of mowing on, on, on occasion. And, um, yeah, it's all about moisture management. In fact, that's how I spent my morning. Uh, Curtis was taking readings with the TDR and hand-watering where necessary to see to it that our greens will get through today. And then we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Right, right. You know, that's uh, it, that's what it comes down to in the, when you get into the nitty-gritty for sure, isn't it? Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, I listened to your podcast with um, Keith Wood over at Quail Hollow, and I think Keith summed it up best, where, uh, you know, the trick or the art, if you will, with bent grass is, is keeping it alive when Mother Nature's working against you. And so uh, that's that's what we're focused on here for the next few weeks. Yeah, for sure. Well, Lee, back over to you, you know, so how's the, how is the rest of the guys and, and, and gals and anybody in the business doing throughout your region? And, you know, I know you're really active in the, in the local and, and regional uh, network of superintendents and, and course managers. Do you guys, do you guys talk a lot and do you share the ups and the downs, the challenges, the best practices and, and so forth? Uh, very much so, Curtis. I mean, I think, um, I mean, social media is just such a, a fantastic tool. Um, just Facebook alone, just, you know, throwing out ideas and, you know, feedback from the guys. You could be in the US, you could be in Australia, you could be anywhere. Um, and I, I guess, you know, we talk about our local community and, and really actually that local community is worldwide, really. Um, you know, everything that we're doing is very, very similar. I mean, there's parts of the parts of the world that, you know, Matthew's just sort of saying, you, you know, you're cranking up, you're ready for that furnace to, to get going. And there's, you know, I know guys in Australia just getting ready to go into, into their winter time. Um, so I guess a lot of stuff gets shared. Uh, a lot of the guys here are doing some really good work. Um, James Bledge down at Royal St. Ports is doing a lot of work on the on the links, um, which is really cool and, and really unique. Um, I think on the whole, everyone's you know in a good place and we're moving forward. Um, but we do have some agronomic um, issues that we're we're trying to deal with. We we've just really had um, all our insecticides. Um, removed. We've got a, a Silloprim that's just come back for uh, Schaefer, uh, Schaefer grubs. Um, we've lost all of our contact fungicide, so we can only use systemic. So we're at a cusp of changing a lot of our uh, management regimes, and they probably haven't really fully panned out yet due to legislation. And, and really this 
I guess this brotherhood is really where it's all going to come into its own of sharing ideas, what works, what doesn't work. Um, you know, the end user is um, very unforgiving when it comes to, well, why isn't something not right? Mm -hmm. So um, that, that community that we work with, um, you know, on a daily basis is, is so essential. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That, that's quite a, that's quite a, um, a change in process, uh, to, to lose all of those tools and resources. You know, I obviously, uh, don't know the details, uh, like you do, but you know, there's certain parts of our country where, um, there's uh, more and more things disappearing. And, you know, I'm not really sure why, other than the fact that I guess it makes sense to review it all and we all have to do the right thing. In fact, I think we pride ourselves on being environmental stewards, but just to kind of pull the rug out like that across the board, um, you know, that's going to have a big impact on the end product. And like you said, the uh, end users understanding of our profession, I think it's, it's a bit concerning. Uh, uh, very much so. Um, and, it, and it's finding the right uh, tool to communicate that. Uh, I know GCSAA are really good at um, sort of reaching out, um, you, you, you know, to to the wider public to for acknowledgement. Um, it's, it's we all want to live in a in a much safer environment, um, but you know a lot of these uh, bodies now are asking some you know some really difficult questions on different industry sectors about the products that we're using. Um, very much one of the biggest thing in the UK now is is about um, reusable plastics, and we're now starting to get asked in the in the golf course industry, you know, well, what are we doing with all of our um, plastics when we finish it, fertilizer bags and containers? Um, I think there's we live in a world of greater uh, scrutiny, and I guess this is where greenkeepers, turf managers do their best as problem solvers is, is jump up and start finding answers and alternative solutions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think that's a great segue in, in, into, you know, discussing, um, you know, the master greenkeeper program, the certified golf course superintendent program and such, you know, you, you said earlier that you did it cause you wanted to challenge yourself and, and that's the same reason I did it, you know, um, to me, continuing education is just that it's not anything that ever ends. And so I wanted to just, you know, assume that, you know, my entire career, I would continue to take courses and, and get into programs and challenge myself. And, and, and I thought that's just uh, how it was all done uh, or how everybody would do it. But, you know, that's not necessarily the case, but, you know, I think as it relates to uh, what we're talking about now with, new legislation and, and new rules and regulations placed upon us, it's going to take a group of guys and a community of, of, of professionals with really a commitment to having the education to support our position and or lobby for a position. Um, fair enough to say? Oh, I think definitely. I think, um, I think uh, on the, one of the recent talks, Matthew and I, uh, we were doing, we were talking about, you know, stress and success. And we're saying that uh, uh, tomorrow's superintendent are going to be, they're going to have to be some smart cookies. And, you know, very much our place is to make sure that we help and train the next generation and guide and give them a good platform. Because it's going to be, I wouldn't say difficult, it's going to be very different. Um, and, and it's mm -hmm. going to be very challenging 
hey, you know, when, when I started and I looked at my head greenkeeper, you know, the biggest issue that he was probably concerned about was making sure the course was set up, ready for the weekend on the Friday. And we didn't do a lot, and again, until Monday. Whereas now you're sort of thinking about, you know, the membership, the team, the equipment, your resources, the weather. Um, there's a lot to contend with. So, and, and I think with technology, things change very, very quickly. So it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be tough. How, how aware do you think the golfing community, you know, the, the members and just the, the, the weekend players are of these certification programs and such and the level of commitment that our industry has to continuing education? Do you think it's, do you think we've made an impact and, and people understand how technically savvy and, and educated we are? Or do you think it's just something that's glossed over and not really paid attention to? I would, I would love to say, yes, they, they fully understand. Um, I would say it's glossed over. I think I look at it is, is that back in the day, um, you know, greenkeepers, turf managers found it very hard to um, justify their corner because they didn't have the evidence. They didn't have the education to show or explain or document um, what they're doing and why they're doing it. It, it was, it, you know, quite often we talk about greenkeeping. Is it science or is it an art form? I think, you know, a lot of the stuff I do is a gut feeling, but I can back it up with the science. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, mm-hmm. modern day, you know, we can sit there and turn around and say, you know, uh, Matthew was saying, like, say he was doing his moisture count on this greens with TDR. There would have been a day where you would have walked on the green, put your thumb to the to the turf surface and said it's too firm too soft looking at the color of the of the turf taking a, a plug with a hole changer and looking at the soil and deciding how you're going to irrigate we've got tools now if the members turn around and said oh the greens are too hard you can take your firmness meter you can actually give it an objective reading and you can explain the science behind it so i think that we are as educated as we've ever been we're really sharp we're really knowledgeable I don't think the customer, you know, I think the member would still rather go down the road of ignorance. So even with our knowledge and skills and ability, um, we can fight a corner far better. But I think the end user is like, yeah, I think ignorance is bliss. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, and I think that's, you know, kind of one of the things we're trying to do is just really push forward uh, the level of um, the level of leadership that's that's out there on the golf course that they play each week. You know, I mean, you know, you talked about the, the, the art versus the science and members at Medina used to call me the professor and they would actually get annoyed because they didn't want to hear any more of this, you know, uh, turf one oh one class. But in, in a lot of ways, uh, they really appreciated the fact that we had that backup and I think it gave them confidence. Um, you know, Matthew, what's your take on it here, here in the States and in the Carolina region and, and, and all the places you get out? Do you think that uh, uh, the end user really understands uh, the level of leadership and professionalism that is running the business from our end of it? I think Lee's right that there's, it's sort of glossed over. And despite all the headway that GCSA has made to to sort of elevate and highlight and shine the spotlight on the profession of the golf course superintendent and what it is we really do. 
there's still a large segment of the population that doesn't fully grasp or comprehend it. Having said that, there is a segment of the population that has at least a better understanding or an appreciation for those of us that have become certified simply because they work in professions that have similar uh, accreditations. I know when I achieved certification and I highlighted it in my blog, I had several members come up to me and congratulate me. They didn't exactly know what a certified golf course superintendent was, but they understand the process because they have it in their own yeah. field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my bachelor's was in engineering. And before I even got out of school, we were told, okay, if you graduate, you're going to have to work for at least five years under a professional engineer before you can sit for the PE exam. And, um, and actually, you had to take another examination called the engineering training. You had to pass the EIT exam and then go into the field and work under a PE, a professional engineer, for five years before you were even eligible to take that examination yourself. And so becoming a certified golf course superintendent is along those same lines. And I would always, I would ask you this, if you were going to take someone, uh, take your income taxes to somebody to have them do them for you, are you going to take it down the street where you saw a sign that said lawnmower repair and income tax service? Or are you going to take your taxes to a guy who's a certified public accountant? Yeah, the answer is obvious, right? It. Right. The answer is obvious. And so it's the same thing with being a certified golf course superintendent. It just shows that you've, you've taken the steps, those extra steps to, um, you know, you've taken the extra steps required to ensure that you, you're highly educated. You're on top of things. My grandfather used to always tell me, I, I still re- hear his voice when I, when I say these words, Matt, there's no such thing as too much education. He said that to me so many years ago, and luckily for me, I, I chose uh, a career where continuing education is a must. Lee just said it himself. Uh, the things that are required of us today are vastly different from my days yeah, at Lake yeah, Bonaventure. Sure. Uh, you think that uh, we've got a good level of interest and participation from the younger superintendents uh, towards these programs? No, I do not. Uh, in fact, the, the numbers reflect that at G- with GCSAA. The, the, the numbers going into the CGCS program are on the decline. Uh, and it's it's unfortunate. Um, and I, I don't know what it's going to take to turn that around. I do know that there are some younger guys out there that are in the midst of, uh, you know, in the workings pursuing it. I've I've, uh, I've spoken with many, whether it be via text, email, or or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, to each their own. I, I did it for the same reason you did it and the same reason Lee did it. Um, I worked for a certified superintendent, and I, I looked up to, to Rick Owens. He's a mentor of mine, and I wanted to be like Rick. And, I, I, you know, I went that route. I think it's. I was going to say it's quite interesting because it's been quite the reserve, uh, the reverse in the UK. We've probably had a good, steady uptake of 
uh, young course managers, um, um, they, they're kind of itching. They have to serve their three years of being a course manager before they can fully uh, get into the Master Greenkeeper program. And, uh, you know, so many of them I've heard, it's like, I'm waiting for my three years up so I can actually start the program. Um, so for us in the UK, um, it's had uh, a resurgence. But I feel in the UK, we've kind of lost the myth of it's an elite club, it's a bit of a clique, which it isn't. Um, and, and I think, I, I guess for me, I'm quite fortunate, obviously, that I've done all three of them. But, you know, the one thing about the Master Greenkeeper, it's a personal journey. You do it with your team, you do it for your business, and you do it with your family, but it's so personal um, that it's, I think it's caught quite a theme in the UK. Um, so, so, so for us, I yeah. think it's, it's actually, it's been, it's actually, it's lost its stigma and it's actually sitting now. It's, it's a wanted qualification by, um, the, the new generation of course managers coming through. Yeah, that, you know what, that's great. And, you know, with the help of guys like, you lee and you matthew that's what we're trying to do on the course reports is to tell everybody how cool it is you know like what are you waiting for <laughs> get in, get involved exactly and and yeah. uh, you know the to, to just tell to tell the golfer out there you know pe- people have an interest in it i think if we believe it, it, that they do and and we have the passion that we have we should share it with them so i want to thank both you guys so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to uh, share with our listeners and to be on the program. And I hope that we can uh, reprise this with a, with another episode sometime down the line um, and, and just kind of follow up on all this stuff. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Curtis. It's a, a great opportunity. Um, I know Matthew will do exactly the same as me, but hey, if anyone wants to reach out and get hold of me to help, to ask a question, you know, uh, uh, I'm an open door. Um, we're all here to help each other. And um, thank you for this opportunity to um, uh, speak across the pond. Absolutely. Yes. And Matthew, thank you very much yourself for uh, taking time out of the, the hot summer to do it. You guys have been great. And, um, you know, we'll look forward to following up again. Oh, it's my pleasure, Curtis. And uh, it's an honor to be on here with Lee. And if if my microphone's picking up that train going by the office, my apologies, but uh, that, that adds character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, Hey, there's just something about a train running by a golf course. I'm just here to tell you, but, but, but no, Lee's right. Uh, if anyone listening to this, uh, if it sparks an interest and you have any questions, whether it be about certification or master greenkeeper, uh, I am more than happy, more than willing and happy to, to speak to you. Just reach out. I'm easy to find. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Catch you on the next one. Thank you, Curtis. It was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, well, I want to thank Matthew and Lee for some great insight. You know, we went a little technical this time, which was cool. And, you know, I thought it was going to be neat to have these guys uh, from both sides of the pond, just talking about what their spring's like, what the early summer's like, and how it's going to be the rest of the year, you know. So we kind of jumped off the tournament venue thing to talk to some guys that are out there in the superintendent greenkeeper community, really making an impact, making some serious moves, and pushing the industry forward. So all you golfers that are out there, it's guys like Matthew and Lee 
that are uh, leaders and that are guiding the rest of us along the way and uh, really making something out of what we do. So, hey, you know, we appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk about a couple quick tournaments before we sign out. The 3M Open at TPC Twin Cities. Mark Michalski is the superintendent. Arnold Palmer and Tom Lehman. Um, you know what? They were just up at uh, Hazeltine, so you're going to see a lot of the same grasses over there. Bent grass, a little bit of poa, some blue grass. Uh, going to be a great tournament. I know there's a spot open, I believe, for the uh, for the Open um, out of that tournament. So, you know, good competition. Don't miss it. LPGA Classics in Oneida. Welcome Steve Archibald, the superintendent at Thornberry Creek. Some good stuff in Oneida, Wisconsin. Beautiful part of the country and a real beautiful golf course. The seniors are off this week and the Corn Ferry Tour. Yep, that's it. The Corn Ferry Tour is at the Peak and Peak Resort uh, for the LeCom Health Challenge. Uh, I think the one we're definitely all going to want to watch, though, is the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open at La Hinch Old Course. Uh, this is as good as it gets right here. Lynx Golf, Irish Lynx Golf. Brian McDonough's the superintendent, been there since 2005. And I'm certainly going to be tuning in, and I hope you do too. So, again, hey, we appreciate all the support. Um, our video, the course reports on site is up there. The next one's in pre-production. We're excited to talk to you about that. Uh, we got more podcasts coming at you next week, week after week. We're going to sign out and we'll talk to you next week.